Hello and welcome back to Secrets Behind the Music Business. I'm your host, Barry Victor. And today we have a special guest with us, president, founder, and CEO of Wix and Music Publishing and author of the book, The Plain and Simple Guide to Music Publishing, Mr. Randall Wixon. How are you doing today, Mr. Wixon? I'm fine. Good morning. Good morning. So I just want to um, start off by asking you, how did you get started in the music publishing and are there both formal and informal ways to get into the business? If so, what does that look like? Well, for me, I was uh, always interested in music and musicians, but I wasn't a very good musician myself. I couldn't sing well, and so I basically uh, uh, was hanging around behind the scenes. One of my neighbors was a manager in the music industry, and so, uh, you know, I, I was just fascinated behind, you know, the scene stuff. So, so I hung out in studios and, and did whatever I could to be around music musicians and songwriters. Um, you know, there's formal ways of doing it, too. Uh, there's, there's classes, uh, you know, at various schools uh, and extension programs and, uh you know, you can take those and and learn the stuff. But I sort of learned by doing, and then took the classes and and got the formal education afterwards. Got it. So, do you feel through your experience that it makes sense to kind of just jump in and get the um, firsthand experience versus going a formal route? Well, I I think one is indicative of the other, namely that. If you are truly, truly interested in it, you know you'll jump in and 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 see what you can learn and and uh, read books about it. And if you have the genu- genuine interest, you know it sort of comes naturally. If it's just sort of sitting down and and saying, "Hmm, well, I didn't like working as a uh, grocery clerk, so what can I do now?" I, I think you know you're more likely to uh, through uh, a, a college or a course or something like that. Got it. Um, so I heard you say that if 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 you like somebody that likes to sit down and learn about it, you can do that as well. Is that the intention you had when you wrote the book, or was it more the idea of I want people to be able to get these resources quickly? for those who don't understand it but need something that's plain and simple if they can't talk to a lawyer or a music publisher? Was that the the purpose of putting the book out? The purpose of the book, I guess, was I, w- I was frustrated because I was dealing with a lot of very high-level people in the industry who didn't understand just the basics of, of music publishing. Mm. And they just didn't understand the terminology and... You know, these these people were, uh, you know, in, in sort of high-level positions. So I figured if I put it down in simple language, made it uh, in- entertaining for people to read, and, uh, you know, if people absorb, you know, 90% of what's in the book, they'll they'll know more than most of the people who are already in the industry. Right. It was a very well-written book. I read it myself. So do you think that a majority of the, I would say, the major side of the record industry, the people in these high-level positions, 
as the the record executives, um, even the A and R's, the managers, do you feel like a lot of them don't know what music publishing is, or even have a general idea of how it works? Or are they coming from more of like a business side? I think they know it's very important, and I think they know it is one of the parts of the industry that throws off, you know, consistent revenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I think. Beyond that, a lot of them don't know the difference between simple things as, as uh, you know, uh, a mechanical and a performance, uh, how to calculate mechanical royalty rates, uh, you know, which sections of, of the copyright law uh, allow people to get, uh, you know, serve terminations and get their copyrights back and how, and you know what what the norms of pricing are for synchronization use i i think there there's a lot of um uh, of stuff that is is just missing from you know the repertoire mm-hmm. of what they ought to have okay so in regards to what you're talking about knowing certain prices for certain things is there a resource out there that you know of that people can look to to say, okay, if I want to get a sync license, this is how much I'll be paying for, say, independent artists versus a major label artist. Is there a website out there that people may be able to look at, or is this something that you specifically have to go to somebody within that industry to find out? Well, I cover some of it briefly in the book, uh, and I talk about... uh, you know, in broad categories, what a baby band might get for for certain sets of rights, and what a superstar or an iconic song might get. But really, there are so many variables that you know, it's like what territory, what what the term of the license is, what the media you're licensing, how long the use is, is it a visual vocal, is it a background instrumental? Is it, is it a theme song? Is it is a recurring theme. You know, there are so many variables, and then there are variables also with respect to your song. Uh, is your song something that is, you know, just came out and sold 3,000 copies, and you're trying to, to, you know, get more people to hear it? Or is it something that people have been listening to for the last 40 years and is one of the standards of, of popular music? So, so, so much goes into it that it, it takes a period of time to, um, you know, develop a feel and confidence as to what things are worth, what, how they should be priced, what the norms are, what people are willing to pay, what they're not. And I, I think that comes just with, with time and experience and repetition of, of seeing things. Right. Okay, so for people out there who are new to this, can you tell them what a publisher's main function is? Um, you know, publishers do all this stuff that owners of copyrights might not want to do themselves. If you write a song, you don't want to copyright the song. You don't want to clear it with ASCAP or BMI or CSAC or GMR. 
um, if you you know you don't want to be stuck in the no middle of negotiations uh, with with a studio, and you don't want to sit there and and uh, you know work the material to to a, a studio or try and find an artist to record it. So a publisher does all of these things and frees up the artist or the songwriter. Uh, so that they can create songs, and then the backroom functions and generating interest and uses and positive exploitations of the song uh, are generally the publisher's job. Okay, got it. So they're just making sure all the business is handled. Yeah. All right. So can you tell us the difference between publishing or having a publishing company versus having a publishing administrator and why you need both? Well, you don't necessarily need both. Sometimes a publisher does the administration as well. Uh, a publisher is an owner or sometimes a co-owner of the composition. Uh, and oftentimes they will enter for the right to uh, purchase their copyright or purchase half of their copyright, which is called a co-publishing deal, and then they will do the administration and maybe pay the writer a royalty, typically half of what it is that the publisher receives. Whereas an administrator is someone who is more likely, well, who, who works with uh, songwriters who retain their publishing and don't sell it to a third party uh, and need someone to still do the back office stuff. So an administrator typically will work for a fee, perhaps 10%, and uh, the, the copyright itself and the ownership, ultimate ownership of the song is, is with you know the songwriter. Got it. So would you recommend an indie artist who doesn't have uh, any type of track record or major success yet for them to go out and get publishing administration through a CD Baby TuneCore or SongTrust if they're not being approached by a publishing company yet? And especially if they are not selling music overseas yet, which is part of what administrators do that like ASCAP and BMI don't do because they only work domestically. So would you recommend that indie artists do that if they're not at that point yet to where they're getting money overseas? Well, I, I think uh, any deal that you make uh, along those lines, would I would advise someone to make sure that you can get out cleanly without ongoing obligations on a reasonable period of time. Uh, because if, if things start, ha you know, in a way it's a parking place. Uh, you're, you're wanting someone to, to do the work and, and to do the collections and registrations for you. Uh, but you don't want to, you know, if, if your career suddenly takes off as a songwriter, you don't want to be locked into something like that. Uh, that might not be the best available uh, terms to you once you uh, have that level of success. There's also a, a good deal of, of work that you can do yourself and 
not need one of those services. Uh, and uh, in my book, I have a, a do-it-yourself chapter talking about the sorts of things that you can do until uh, your songwriting success uh, you know, reaches a threshold where people are interested in you. Got it, got it. Okay, so in your experience, what has been the main source of income for publishers, and what are some of the revenue streams that aren't too far behind that? Well, in, in the past, mechanicals were king, and mechanicals are royalties for selling records, CDs, you know, uh, and, and that's dwindled to almost nothing right now. Um, unfortunately, uh, while people consume music through streaming, uh, what streaming pays to songwriters is still very, very minimal and hasn't really adequately replaced the uh, revenue that they've received from mechanicals in the past. So at this point in time, I think the, the two big sources of income are performance royalties for having your songs played on the radio and TV and uh, you know places that publicly perform music, and uh, synchronization uses where people uh, take your song and put it in timed relationship with TV shows, motion pictures, advertisements, so on and so forth. Okay. So I've heard, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I've heard that some of these streaming services have cut deals with the major labels. Are they not doing the same thing with the major publishing companies? Uh, they were, many of the services were a little sloppy with what they did. They launched their services without uh, all of the rights that they might have needed. And as a result, they're uh, trying to clean up those messes now and get the licenses that they need. Uh, you could probably cover, you know, 80% of the music business by making uh, deals with five or six major recording companies, whereas I don't think you could do that with with songs because there are so many different people and so many different publishers to deal with more than there are record companies. So I think we're getting there, and I'm optimistic that eventually we will pay, pay a fair royalty to uh, uh, writers and publishers, but uh, at this point I don't think it's there yet. Okay. Yeah, I actually want to touch on that a little bit later. So what does a publisher look for when signing a writer? Well, uh, a writer uh, who is maybe working with, with uh, producers who, who are well-known or a writer uh, who is in a band that is touring or getting a lot of uh, you know, YouTube uh, streams, uh, someone who who has demonstrated that they've already gotten some uh, public recognition and ha have is starting to have a following, uh, or maybe is working with someone else who already has stuff going. You know, someone comes in and says, "Yeah, I, I'm best friends with Bruno Mars, and I've you know written a third of three songs with him." 
you know, a publisher will be interested in, in, in seeing uh, that sort of, uh, you know, activity. Uh, an administrator, I think, is going to be a little bit more interested in, you know, do you have stuff that's already been released and already is is making some money because administrators usually work on a percentage basis and are less involved in uh, developing careers from point zero. And so they're going to want to say, well, if this guy is making $50,000 a year and I'm taking 10%, I'm making 5000 a year. Um, but if this guy's making $300 a year and I'm getting 10%, you know, I'm getting $30 and I'm investing, you know, way too much time to make $30. Yeah, I understand. Okay. So uh, how common is it that publishers sign writers that have no track record or any recognition of success at all? Like, does that ever happen? Like, say someone just knows a really talented writer. Does that Do they parallel that in the publishing world like an A&R would and they're going out searching for a talented artist? Do you have people within the publishing world who just go out and try to network with talented songwriters and want to bring them in, but they don't have any track record or any type of success? Yeah, I think it does happen, but I think it it happens less commonly than if someone is starting to get a buzz about them. Um, I think the problem is that, you know, A&R people... Uh, sort of, you know, you're only as good as your last signing. And if you if you sign someone and you commit company money to something and they don't happen, you're in trouble. Uh, so there there's a, a decent amount of insecurity there. So I think you know someone who who's mind-bogglingly talented uh, does have a shot, but it sure helps if if the person you know. Uh, is comfortable uh, at signing them saying, hey, you know, they've already got these three pokers in the work works and they're playing shows in front of, you know, 500 people every week. You know, it, it sort of gives them a little bit more confidence that, that their belief in that talent is shared by others. Okay. So what does a typical split look like for a new writer? Is that going to be like a standard 50-50, or are you guys going to be more aggressive with retaining their rights if they have already made their own publishing company? How does it usually work? Well, my company is just an administration company. Uh, we, d we don't... Uh, we believe the artists and songwriters should own their own songs and control their own destiny. And... Uh, so our deals are typically 10%. Okay. Uh, for the average person that goes out and gets a publishing deal, typically it might be a co-publishing deal. Uh, you know, and they might get a, a salary or a small amount uh, per year or, you know, it could be a big amount. If they have a major album coming out produced by Drake or something, you know, who mm -hmm. knows? Got it. So what type of things should a writer be looking for when 
they're going after a publishing deal like what are those terms that they should consider or the main things that should be in a deal that can benefit them well i think they should should bring in a lawyer who's well versed in these sorts of deals um but the things that i would look for would be uh what is the uh the split of revenue is it a 50 50 co-pub deal how much am i getting what is taken what is being taken off the top um but really i think the most important thing is 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 there someone at the company who believes in you is there someone at the company who believes in you who's been there a long time and is likely to be a long time uh, be there a long time and not just you know, disappear once they've signed you and then no one else at the company cares about you. Uh, you know, it, it's about having an advocate at the company on your behalf, and I think it's really important to make sure that that person is going to be there for you. Got it. Can you give us an idea of real numbers that maybe you've seen in the past or nowadays of like what a typical split will look like for a writer with the track record is that, is that like a hundred thousand dollar advance is that a like a low minimum of years to be signed is that a, a low requirement of songs to be handed in like if you have the leverage what does that look like well those those are all different i mean there are just too many variables to say you know it's it's, it's like saying how fast can an eight-cylinder car go? Uh, you know, there are so many other things involved in in that. Uh, you know, what what your previous level of success has been? Have you had hit singles? Are you a new band? Or you know, what kind of split are you looking for? Do you want all the money at once, or do you want it? Uh, you know, tied to each time you release an album, they get it. I mean, I, I don't think I've seen them go for, you know, three and a half million dollars wow. to, to, you know, someone's given them 25,000. Mm-hmm. Now, do they do the same thing within publishing as they do with record deals and offering 360s that exist in the publishing world? Well, in the record deals, uh, the publishing is often part of that 360 deal. I don't, I don't like 360 deals because I I don't think everybody is good at everything. And if you're a really good record company, that doesn't mean that you're a really good merchandise company. Right. And if you're a merchandise company, it doesn't mean you, you have good distribution or good A&R or good publishing. And I, I think you should, you know, my choice is to pick the best of... Uh, you know, all worlds rather than just say, well, I'm going to have one guy do everything. I mean, you know, the, the example I, I give in my book is, you know, let's say you have a swimming pool and a guy comes once a week to uh, clean the pool. What if he starts saying, well, I can also groom your, your, your dog while I'm here. <laughs> you know, what, what makes him a, a good dog groomer? Right. And you, you might have, have a, your poodle with a mohawk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what is your idea if you had a step-by-step process for someone who's new and doesn't have any connections 
and they want to get a publishing deal, what would you tell them to do first? Is that like just work on your songs and just write as many songs as you can or try to get placements? Or should you even approach a publishing company if you haven't had any previous track record? Well, first thing I'd do is I'd get your songs in order. I'd make sure they're great songs. One of the, you know, you don't want to take a, a shot and be turned down when you're still writing at a mediocre level um, because they're going to remember, oh, yeah, I listened before. He wasn't that good. So, I mean, get get your songs in order and, and how to do that. Um, you really got to find someone who is willing to be honest with you and say, look, it's not very good, it doesn't rhyme, you know, it's hard to follow, I don't know what you mean, the melody is, is just all one chord. I mean, you you got to find someone who's not just a family member or a girlfriend or a boyfriend who's saying, yeah, yeah, that's really good, I like it. But you got to find someone who can give you honest, meaningful feedback until you can get your songs in, in good order. And sometimes that's working with, you know, uh, you know, a, a songwriting class or something, or a songwriting group, uh, you know, where people critique each other's songs. But you, that that I think is where you got to hone your craft before you start marketing yourself. Then, I I think the next thing is is to, you know maybe find if you're a good artist yourself maybe you put it up on YouTube and see see what kind of response people get and what kind of uh you know numbers uh try and build a local following uh doing some live shows um hopefully you know other musicians and and maybe maybe uh, you can get stuff working with them. Okay. Do you have any recommendations in regards to like how you certain classes that you can go to or maybe some different type of resources where people who have good ears or people who are actually in the industry can listen and review the material that you've written? Yeah, well, there's community colleges that, that have, you know, things like songwriting classes, uh there, there are plenty of people who offer seminars that do this. One of one of our clients uh, is a lady named Holly Knight, and she wrote uh, a lot of hit songs, including "Simply the Best" for Tina Turner. And she does classes. Um, there's Dishens Institute in LA. Uh, there's 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 you know all sorts of different places in different cities uh, and different services. Um, that can give you feedback. Now, I know that I can't think of the name off the top of my head right now, but I know your publishing company has some kind of music festival. Are you guys there actually attending and giving feedback to the writers, or are these people that you already know have some type of success or you already know they're great writers, or is it a type of like open mic session where you're letting new people come up and present their music? No, uh, we did a uh, what we called Authentic Voices right. Festival. Okay, it was for two, two days, 
and we had four acts each day, and we invited music supervisors to come hear the songs of these people so that we could market our clients' songs to film the advertising and to try and get the clients' music heard by the people we want to have it heard by. But it wasn't open mic or or people that weren't our clients. Okay, so I wanted to also know, is there any new legislation on the horizon that's advocating for better or fair pay for writers and publishers? Yeah, there's something called the Music Modernization Act of 2017. And a lot of industry groups got together and compromised that, well, we'll agree to this if you'll agree to that. And I think overall it's an excellent bill. And uh, I I think it would uh, greatly uh, benefit both uh, uh, people who market music and people who create music. Mm-hmm. Um, are you familiar with the Songwriters Equity Act? Can you tell us more about that? Um, I really uh, wouldn't want to comment on that one right now. Okay. Uh, I haven't looked at it in a while, and I don't think I could give meaningful comments. Okay, no problem. Okay, so for uh, songwriters and publishers, I know... Sometimes people don't know the difference between songwriters and artists, so I want to kind of break down the different revenue streams and kind of isolate the associations that people should be a part of if they're one or the other, or if they're both possibly. Um, So what associations do you mandate that your clients register with or organizations? Every publisher and writer, what do you feel like they need to be registered with to collect their royalties? You know, ASCAP, BMI, Sound Exchange, Harry Fox. What are some of them out there that aren't widely known or very popular? Well, it depends whether you're a songwriter publisher or a recording artist or both. Right. But basic, you basically hit on the important ones, uh, which are if you're a songwriter publisher, you need a be a member of a performing rights society, so that would be ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, or GMR uh, in the United States. Um, I think you are wise to copyright your songs with the Copyright Office. Um, The uh, artist who is making recordings, sound recordings, I think sound exchange is is certainly uh, you know a must. Uh, so you get paid for your digital uh, transmissions, and uh, you know I think uh, trade organizations, you know the Association of Independent Music Publishers, the California Copyright Conference, mm-hmm. uh, you know the the. NARIS, National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences, the Grammy folks. I think, you know, there's a lot of networking you can do by joining them. Um, I guess that's it. Okay. Now, I know that there's a, um, a case going on right now between your company and Spotify. Are you open to discussing that at this point, or you want to kind of leave that alone? I can discuss it in general terms. Okay just want to know how 
that case came about and where it stands as of now? Well, uh, the Music Modernization Act of 2017 that I just mentioned that I thought was a good bill in general contained wording on page 82 that basically said you lose your rights to uh, get statutory damages for past infringements of your work if you don't file a lawsuit by January 1st 2018 and that that's if it becomes law and I don't think disenfranchising people from their rights without a well-publicized future deadline is, is really a fair thing to do I think if, if they were going to do that they should have made it public and given people a year to take action. And they, did, they didn't even re release the text of this bill publicly until three days after your rights expire if the bill passed. And so it's a retroactive uh, you know, punishment for people who, whose works have been willfully infringed by streaming services. So we really didn't want to litigate and we wanted to have you know continue to have discussions uh, Spotify and other services that have used our clients work in the past but you know because of this deadline that was in the bill that we found out about in order to preserve our clients rights uh, to be compensated properly for the past we had to file a suit. All right. Wait, so when was the bill proposed? Uh, the bill was introduced December 21st. Wow, and they only gave you until January 1st to file? Yeah, and wow. they had to file by January 1st, and they didn't announce, uh, publicly post the, the, uh, the text of the actual bill until January 4th. Wow. So we have find out about it but it was it was you know something that that just took away a, if the bill becomes law it takes away a lot of rights for a lot of people mm -hmm. that they didn't even know they lost their rights mm -hmm. wow so yeah i, I definitely uh want to make sure we get the word out about that because it is going to affect a lot of people and especially the creators you know it seems like they're always on the, the back end of who's getting the money and who and who's essentially being credited and who's essentially going to be able to make a living from the creators work that they're doing so I, I think it's definitely um something that we need to get the word out about because it's just yeah. not fair you know so my final question just i want to know can you tell us about the difference between someone Registering with the Music Reports, Harry Fox, and MediaNet Digital. That's a new one that I came across, but I'm not too familiar with it. So I wanted to know if you knew the differences between the three. Well, most of those are, are service providers for streaming services and record companies. And they function as payment back offices, you know, for... Uh, streaming services so it's their job to find out who the publishers publishers are 
uh, to get the appropriate licenses and to render the accountants accountings. So in general, that you know, I I don't think they generally work for songwriters. Uh, I think they're sort of on the other side of the the fence. They're working for for you know to render payment rather than to collect payment. Oh, okay. The same thing with Harry Fox. Are you saying that Harry, Harry Fox? Harry Fox does both. Okay. okay. Uh, Harry Fox registers, uh, I, I believe, will collect mechanical royalties for people, and they also render services uh, to serve uh, to uh, uh, you know distributors of music. Okay. All right. So I know I asked a. Uh, a lot of questions i wanted to let you have the floor if there's anything that you think new upcoming songwriters or publishers should know before you get into the business if you have any final words or any words of advice for the up-and-coming what would that be my advice is to don't get into anything long-term or reversible until you've had proper legal advice and a period of time to see if something is is working properly it's it's i guess it it's the songwriter's equivalent to live with someone for a year before you get married with them yeah you know? mm-hmm. got it okay well that's a great advice i appreciate you taking the time to share your words of wisdom and all your experience throughout the industry um how can people get in contact with you and follow you on social media uh wixenmusic.com is our website and uh you can 